Our parable this morning comes from Matthew chapter 20, verses 1 through 16. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for the usual daily wage, he sent them out into his vineyard. When he went out about nine o'clock, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace, and he said to them, you also go into the vineyard, and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. He went out again about noon and about three o'clock, and he did the same. And about five o'clock, he went out and found others standing around, and he said to them, why are you standing here idle all day? They said to him, because no one has hired us. He said to them, you also go into the vineyard. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his manager, call the laborers and give them their pay, beginning with the last and then going to the first. When those hired about five o'clock came, each of them received the usual daily wage. Now, when the first came, they thought they would receive more, but each of them also received the usual daily wage. And when they received it, they grumbled against the landowner saying, these last worked only one hour and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day in the scorching heat. But he replied to one of them, friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for the usual daily wage? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to the last the same as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or are you envious because I am generous? So the last will be first, and the first will be last. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. I can easily pull moments of, that's not fair, out of my childhood memory bank. Maybe it's just me. I still had to vacuum and dust on Saturday morning, even though my brother was at a sleepover and was totally exempt from any chores. My sister had long, thick, black, beautiful hair, and I had fine, wimpy, blonde hair. Yes, I've done some work to floof it up since then. I floundered in every type of math known to man, and my brother excelled in every single subject. My sister, the very first grandchild, was truly the favorite of my grandparents, and it was always clear to me. Hold up. This, this is sounding more like a sibling rivalry sermon. Are y'all sure I'm not preaching Cain and Abel today? Well, I know I'm not alone in this world. Our idea of fairness, or more specifically the lack thereof, 
starts at an early age. Take a look. Those kids kind of had it figured out, but just in case you're wondering which one I was, yep, it was that little blonde girl who wouldn't share till the very end. Truthfully, they handled the lack of fairness with slightly less grumbling than the workers in today's story about a man who owns a vineyard, goes out to get some day laborers to work there. Honestly, when we read the parable, especially the end, we are left kind of grumbling too, because number one, we always place ourselves, just admit it, in the position of the worker that has been toiling away in the sun all day and gets paid less. That's who we think we are. Number two, our society and economy work idealistically on a system of fair exchange. So those who have worked twice as much have every right to expect in return that they will receive twice as much in return. Or at the very least, we believe that those who didn't work as hard should definitely get less. As usual, Jesus has a way of turning this kind of thinking upside down while simultaneously making us very uncomfortable. But first, two reminders about the parables. The first is what the kingdom of heaven is and what is our role in that kingdom. Now, it's our tendency to view heaven as this far-off place where St. Peter stands at the gate to greet us on our final day as though we've found the golden ticket and we're getting ready to enter the chocolate factory. Sure, I kind of hope it is a little bit like that, but it's also everything, the spiritual realm of here and now, not just there. It's the fulfillment on earth of God's will from this point, from now, from the past, until eternity, until the return of Christ. Jesus isn't telling us a parable about this world as it is today, but about the world that God dreams it will be. And we're not just sideline participants in this, sideline observers. God wants us involved in this. We're part of that plan to make all things right. Dallas Willard wrote, the gospel of Christ is less about how we get into the kingdom of heaven and more about how to live in the kingdom of heaven before you die. The second reminder is that we're not the focus of the parable. This bears repeating. I preached it when I talked about the parable of the sower a few weeks ago. But Jesus is teaching first and foremost to reveal something about God and about God's desire for a just and whole world. So in this examination of today's parable, we focus on the landowner who we assume to be God, Christ, and then on the workers who we assume to be the followers of Christ in that time, and now we bring that truth today. The owner of the vineyard actually gives us some clues as to what the parable is really about, and for me, they were overlooked, so I was glad to learn a little bit more and think about it in a different way. 
The first is that the landowner desires to find the workers himself. He leaves the vineyard to go in search of the laborers. So what? What's the big deal? It wasn't common in that day. Anyone in a position of land ownership would have had a manager, an overseer to go hire workers. And we know he has one from verse 8 where he has that person, the manager, go pay the workers. Words and phrases such as landowner, hire laborers, his vineyard, household, his manager, All of those words and phrases indicate biblically and scripturally that this man was a man of considerable means. But for whatever reason, it is important to him, to the landowner, to go out personally and find the workers. So what does this tell us about God if he is indeed the landowner? Well, it tells us that God desires very much to know each and every one of us, each and every one of you within here and out there personally. In John 10, 14 through 15, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me just as the father knows me and I know the father and I would lay down my life for the sheep. It's important for Jesus to find us personally. The second clue is that the landowner repeatedly goes back again and again for more and more workers. In fact, he goes back four more times. I mean, the last time he goes back, it's nearly 5 p.m. I don't know what time y'all quit working, but there's very little time left to work in the day. The parable also doesn't say anywhere that the landowner actually needs more help. Doesn't say that the crop is so large he needs more folks to harvest. He's got so many chores he needs more people to come and work. In fact, it actually highlights the needs of the workers. At one point, the landowner says, why are you standing here idle all day? Now, I know what we think when we hear the word idle, But from the Greek word argo, in this particular case, it doesn't mean lazy. It means it's just a fact. They're unemployed. They have nowhere to work. No one has hired us, they tell him, but we aren't really even told why. Do they struggle with some disability or disease? I picture it being like that awkward game of kickball in the sixth grade where everybody is chosen except you. Some of you are looking at me like you don't know what I'm talking about, but I do. Whatever the case, the landowner is not really even concerned about that. He will not stop going out to see if what he can offer each person is what is needed. Each worker is essential to the landowner. The connection Well, Jesus travels around the countryside preaching and teaching and showing us that he will not give up on seeking out the lost, the vulnerable, all who are in need, all of us. He seeks out the faithful and the faithless. He seeks out the shift worker and the salaried. Each one of us is that essential to Jesus. 
The third clue is that the landowner's commitment is to give each person there exactly what they need. In verse 4, he tells the second round of workers to go out in the vineyard and he'll pay them whatever is right. Now, this may go unnoticed because of our attention to the lack of fairness, but the irony is that the workers who toiled all day in the sun were paid exactly what they were promised, which should meet our criteria of fair, right? But it doesn't. I mean, it's not as if the vineyard owner didn't have enough resources to pay them all the same thing, so that then he paid those who'd worked the longest a little bit less just so he could pay those who didn't work a little bit more. No, the landowner has abundant wealth to pay them all, regardless of how little they've worked or how long. In the same way, God's currency of love and grace is the manifestation of his commitment, his agreement to pay us. He knows that the needs of some are bigger than those of others, yet God doles out love, salvation, and connection in complete abundance. Like the landowner, God seems to have plenty to go around for everyone. To think that God loves some people more than others is an injustice to God. God has the same overflowing love for each of us, regardless of our status, our job, our position in life, what we have or have not accomplished. Okay, so we get the clues and we get it. The parable is about, it's about God's generosity. This weird, strange kingdom of heaven that Jesus talks about is some completely different operation than is ours. In this kingdom that Jesus envisions, the last will be first and the first will be last. But still, the end of that parable just somehow doesn't leave us real happy. And we question God, we question Jesus, just like the workers. If I was to have a conversation with my Savior, it might go something like this. Do you mean to tell me, Jesus, that I'm in grad school just to study you at age 50, Yes, it happened this past Thursday. Working in ministry every day, and my reward in this world is the same as the person who says they're a Christian, who tells me I'm not supposed to be a pastor because I'm a woman, and goes to church maybe twice a year? Yep, Jesus says, you hit that right on the nail, Maggie. Exactly that. But it's the reward that turns that whole dynamic on its head. God's love and grace is the wage we're paid at the end of the workday. Jesus is the one who paid that wage. And he's very careful here to point out that I don't get to choose. It says, I choose, the landowner says, 
who receives it. God's generosity doesn't even know human jealousy. As Matthew preached earlier in the gospel, God provides rain on the just and the unjust alike. What I do get to decide, though, what we are all able to decide is how we allow ourselves to be transformed by that wage that we get paid. And that is incredible news, that we have the opportunity to be transformed by the loving God we serve. And the more that we are transformed, the more our own perspective shifts. Jesus, I am so lucky to get to go to school and learn all about you at age 50. I am so honored and blessed to work in ministry each and every day. Becoming an apprentice in the ways of Jesus makes me want to be the worker who's picked the earliest in the day so that I can do the most to expand God's kingdom here on earth. And the more I allow God to change me, the less I am toxically, tox, okay, I just told it, toxically, that's the word I'm looking for, and I would add sinfully concerned with God's generosity towards others. My inflated view of how superior I am, my judgmental opinion of how deserving I am. Instead, I follow in the ways of Jesus, and the more I do that, the less I think about me, the more I simply want to share with every person I meet, friend or foe, the love that I have come to know in Christ. Now, it's not possible for us to have the spirit of generosity that the landowner has, and I know this, without the love and grace of Christ. Doesn't happen by accident or by osmosis, but by our intentional transformation of our attitudes. By becoming an actual apprentice, trying to live in the ways of Jesus Christ and not just be a consumer of religious services. So, some hard questions for reflection and perhaps for action. And don't you dare think for one second that these questions aren't also directed at me. How generous are we with our time? Is prayer, quiet, Sabbath, rest, time spent with God and in God's word the very first thing to do when we judge that our time is scarce or do we make it the priority? Knowing all good things, all things worth it take time. How generous are we with our resources? Are we tithing at all? or at least working our way up to 10%, even if it takes 1%, half a percent per year? Are we finding needs we are passionate about in serving or in donating our hard-earned money? This one's tricky. How generous are we with our trust? Do we listen to others with respect? with kindness, with love, even when we don't agree with them? 
Do we give people the benefit of the doubt? Maybe ask them personally and open our hearts to them because God calls us to be in relationship with each other. And finally, how generous are we with our love? Do we show love and respect to those not only inside but also outside our spectrum of family and friends? What about those folks we cross path with, paths with on a regular basis but we rarely give a second thought to? Or maybe even those who look like they have it all together on social media so we think, well, they don't need us to check in. They've got everything going. What about those on the margins of society? Like those exactly described in Jesus' parable today, those who are unemployed without any way to support their family. Those who spent, Jesus spent most of his time in scripture radically loving Do we show them love? Are we generous with our love towards them? This parable is a reminder that the absolute gift of generosity does not demand response. It does not calculate metrical measures. By definition, generosity is not measurable, accountable, or calculable. And therein lies the point of the parable. Our God is about unreckonable, unmeasurable generosity in the currency of grace, which he readily gives to each of us. Let's pray, friends. Gracious God, you give us the grace and love that is unmerited. Their true definition of generosity Would you help us to share who you are, to share your word, to share all that is good about the salvation you offer us with others? God, help us to show others the good that comes from loving you, the good that we can do when it comes to loving you, the way that we can allow you to transform us, And that by following you, we can become more like you each and every day. It's in the most precious name of your son, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.